0: Every one of you here this morning, I would like to lead us in prayer. So, if you would bow your heads, we'll go before the Father. Oh, heavenly Father, uh, what a what a day you've given us here. We thank you that you're right here with us. Um, these songs that we we sing, we bring praise to you and lift that to you, Lord. Um, our world is topsy turvy, and we just ask that you would just take us by the hand and, and guide us through this time. Help us to to be strong in our walk, and um, that we would look to you for guidance, and that your word would be healing to us. And Lord, we lift up those who are struggling with health this morning, we think of uh, Terrell Breed this morning and just asking Lord that you would watch over him, that you would watch over Calvary Baptist Church this morning. Um, And Lord, we thank you for Brother Chad and the preparation that he has done to bring your message to us. We ask that you would uh, guide him as he brings your message. And um Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: So, why would a community of about 700 people choose to live in a filthy, disgusting maze of flood tunnels underneath Las Vegas, Nevada? And day in and day out, they deal with black widow spiders and mosquitoes, but they say it's cooler than the streets and the cops don't bother them down there. Drug use can stay out of sight. And the folks that live in these tunnels, they've been studied and they've been profiled. And one article explained that they've actually formed a very tight-knit community living in these tunnels underneath Las Vegas. Las Vegas. And what holds that community of people together? They said this, one, a fear of flooding, strangely. Floods have killed 20 people down there over the last couple of decades. And then also, they can live in the dark, and they say that we can do what we want. See, this is a vivid picture of life in this world that we live in. The dark, the danger, the community of people who are evading the law. They're wanting their lawless deeds to be done in the dark and not to be exposed in the light. There was a time in the book of John where Jesus came to a man named Nicodemus and said, this is the verdict, that light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light. Because their deeds were evil, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. I want to ask you a few questions. First of all, have you come out of the darkness in your own life? Or is there some part of you that if you're going to be honest with me this morning and honest with the rest of us, you'd be absolutely terrified if people found out about? If there was some part of your life that was exposed to the rest of us, you would be trepidating with fear. And maybe if you're going to be honest, you're living in a place of darkness right now. You know that you have ignored what God has said in his word about how we ought to live in light of who Christ is. And maybe you came here this morning because you are desperate to find the light. Chad, I've been looking for it. I've tried here and I've tried there. I've tried this and that and self-help books and fill in the blank. And What I want to talk about this morning is how do I live in the light? You see, as long as people live in the dark, evil has a power over them. And Jesus came to set people free From that evil. The text we're going to look at this morning comes from John chapter 8. We'll start with verse 12 and read through verse 30. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. It says there, Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You're of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that... We're in the middle of a series called Living Hope. We've been walking together for some time through the Gospel of John. He's showing us who Jesus is. This book was written so that people who heard it would believe. They would know who Christ is. And we're going back to where we left off just before Easter. We kind of fast forwarded to the, uh, the passion narratives, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now we're going back to where we left off before. The Pharisees are liking Jesus less and less. They believe He's threatened the existence of, of both the nation of Israel, and they think in some way He's threatening the nation of Rome. They're afraid that all that's going to come back down on them, and they're going to be chased out, and, and they're afraid of what He's doing. Just prior to this passage, if you can go back, uh, we talked We talked about the woman caught in adultery, and that's actually sandwiched in the middle of two narratives, all taking place during something called the Feast of Tabernacles. But this is how I would like to approach our subject this morning, and this is what we'll see from the text. First, we'll see that light brings life. Darkness brings doubt and confusion. Then we'll answer that question. How do I live in the light? What does that look like when we are living in the light of Jesus Christ? So first of all, we need to understand what's happening in the background of this passage. The Feast of Tabernacles is still going on. There at the beginning of this passage when uh, Jesus said again in verse 12, the again is looking back at the end of uh, chapter 7, verse 52. That story of the woman caught in adultery is sort of in the middle of this, but Jesus is picking up again. He's speaking at this the Feast of Tabernacles. It's still happening. This was a time when they looked back at God's faithfulness when they had, left, they had left Egypt, and, and they were uh, in the time of the Exodus, they were wandering around in the wilderness, and God provided for them while they were there. If you can reach back, way back in your mind about a month ago, I talked about something called the water drawing ceremony, where God faithfully provided water to the Israelites. And during that part of the uh, ceremony, during this feast, the priest would go down to a spring And seven times they would come back up and pour water out on the altar. And that was a a a, a memoriam, I guess you could say, of these uh, people receiving water while they were wandering in the desert. Then on the last day of the feast, Jesus said he could quench their thirst. He could quench their thirst. And And they could come to him and receive living water. So then notice what it says here at the beginning of verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, Jesus is still addressing this crowd at this feast. And it's the last moments of the feast, one of the most celebratory times of the feast. And it's a part of the feast when they had something called the lamp lighting ceremony. So there in this part of the court, it's called the court of the women, uh, there was a priest that lit these huge torches. So imagine those giant torches being lit in this part of the temple area and it would light up the entire temple compound. And you can see another picture where the entire temple compound is all lit up. People would, now this is not an actual photograph of the event, I hope you get that piece of it, but uh, they've reenacted this, and so all these people would carry in their own torches and everything would be lit up, and it was festive, and people would sing and dance all night long, because up on that temple mount, you can imagine all of Jerusalem somewhat being lit up. And it's against that backdrop that all this is happening. It was one of the happiest occasions of the Jewish year. And they did this again to commemorate God leading them in the night. If we go back and look at Exodus, we'll see that God led his people by a pillar of fire. Do you remember that? That when they were wandering around and it was nighttime, God appeared in his presence as a pillar of fire among the people. All of this is now being observed. Jesus said he was standing there teaching in the treasury located in the court of the women. That's where all this was going now. So this is the backdrop. Jesus standing there now saying, with all of Jerusalem lit up, that I am the light of the world. Amen. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light. You see, all through the Bible, uh, the the picture of light is used to describe God's saving work in the world. Look at Psalm 27.1. He said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Then in John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, it doesn't take long before this is challenged by Jesus. He's giving this teaching. Pharisees aren't digging this. He's speaking authoritatively, and they're they're challenging that. Who are you to speak so authoritatively? You, You need a witness to speak this way. And Jesus said those are human standards. He said that he doesn't judge that way. Look at verses 15 and 16. He said, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. So Jesus says He judges no one. These these Pharisees are judging um, Jesus by what they think they understand. They're doing it in the typical uh, law-oriented, fleshly kind of way. He explains that He's not speaking on His own authority, but on the authority of His Father. And He means that uh, I don't judge in the way that you do. I judge no one like you do according to these fleshly standards, superficial standards. I don't Mark people up and down the way you do, Pharisees. But he's exposed the root of the problem with his opponents. It's very simple. He'll say in verse 19, they don't know the Father. They've missed the Son. They've missed the Father. And by doing that, they've missed life itself. Jesus came to bring life. He came to bring life and light. But there has to be a willingness to have that life exposed. Those people living in those tunnels in Las Vegas are living there in fear. They're living there because they don't want their deeds to be exposed. But what are they missing out on? They're missing out on life. They're missing out on light. You see, that's what happens when we become afraid to have our deeds exposed. There was a a saying I've heard it once that I've I've thought about a thousand times. Do you know that you are only as sick as your secrets? You're only as sick as your secrets. Those things that you want to keep hidden in darkness. It could be your browser history. It could be fill in the blank, whatever it is. Do you know that so much of recovery is simply getting with a group of people that you trust and sharing something that no one has heard about you before. And those people showing you, you know what, we still love you in spite of what you just revealed about yourself. That's why we can't do this Christian thing without community. That's why we confess our sins to each other, because we're all sinners. Jesus came to expose deeds of darkness, not because he's mean and cruel, because he loves us beyond what we can imagine. And he doesn't want us to live in fear and bondage to our past. These Pharisees, what are they trying to do? They're trying to undermine Christ. That's a tactic, isn't it? If you don't like the message, you try to kill the messenger. Let's undermine him. Then what is the outcome of a life that's dwelt in this darkness, this confusion? We see darkness and confusion Verse 21, the conversation changes as Jesus makes his next I am statement. Previously, he said, I am the light. Now he says, I'm going away. But look at how warped the understanding of these Pharisees is in verses 21 and 22. So he said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, well, is he contemplating suicide? Will he kill himself? Where I'm going, you cannot come. This section, I hope, gives you some sense of deja vu because it sounds a lot like chapter 7. In chapter 7, he said something similar. They thought that he meant, well, he's going to the Gentiles. That's why we can't follow him. We wouldn't have gone there. Here they, they actually believe, well, he must be going to die. Ironically, they're quite, quite on the money. They were thinking suicide. Jesus saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to return to my Father in heaven. He proceeds to explain to them the urgency of their condition. He explains that unlike them, he's not of this world. But they have the opportunity right now to believe in him. Look at verse 24. I told you that you would die in your, notice it's plural, sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It's plural. If you look back at verse 21, it is Singular sin. Why is that? He's talking about a particular sin in verse 21. He's talking about the sin of unbelief. See, that is the only sin that God holds against mankind. That is the only sin that will land you in hell for eternity is the sin of unbelief. And according to the scriptures, it is willful that people do not believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And to die With that unrepented sin, all of your sin then, in a sense, comes against you. Those sins that were committed because they were unatoned for, to die in those sins is the ultimate disaster of any person. They asked a question, and who are you? It's a great question, most important question humankind can ever ask of God, of Christ. Who are you? But they've already missed the point. Jesus is using his divine name. I am. I am the light of the world. He says, I am going away. I am who I've told you I am all along. But look at verse 27. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. He'd explained that he's saying what the Father told him to say. But they're blind. They're in complete darkness. They've rejected Jesus. They've rejected the light. They've rejected the Father. And these are the spiritual gods of Israel. Reminds me of a. <clears throat> There's a strange phenomenon going on in Europe. They have these things called sightless restaurants. I'd never heard of this. But it's a uh A restaurant that is completely blacked out. There's absolutely no light coming in. A man explained his experience of being in the inky blackness of a restaurant like that in Germany. He said to get to his table, it was necessary to place his hand on the shoulder of the waiter. His name was Majid, and he put the hand on the waiter's shoulder. And in single file, he and his partner, who had her hand on his shoulder, they walked. They were guided to the table. Now, it turns out that this waiter needed no light. He was blind like all the res- uh, waiters in that restaurant. And this man who, was, who could see, he felt panicked, he said, by the utter darkness and the inability to see his own hand while waving it in front of his face. He heard a glass crash to the floor at a nearby table. And he said this, the reaction was more desperate than the situation would merit under normal, well-lit circumstances because he didn't know why it crashed. <clears throat> and since no lights of any kind were allowed in the dining room, a staff member had to leave patrons to the bathroom whenever they needed to go. It was candlelit, fortunately. They talked about the unease of going there. And they talked about the nervousness when their, their waiter arrived with the food. And, and he talked about how hard it is to use a fork when you can't see the fork and you can't see the food. And at the end of this unique dining experience, the waiter led them back out of the restaurant into the light. And he said this, and this was fascinating. He said, at the unique end of this dining experience, the waiter led them out. And he said, whatever the pluses or minuses of sightless dining, one thing is clear. When choosing darkness over light, your best guide is blind. When we use when we think about the world, and I'm talking about the biblical definition of the world, those, the realm of those who do not believe, the best guides to are blind. The people who can inspire you to trust them, even though they have no spiritual understanding whatsoever. You can gain fame and fortune and have zero spiritual discernment <clears throat> in this world. Because the world has a way of living and that way of living will lead you straight to hell. And Jesus, the climax of what he's saying here, he tells them that he'll be lifted up, that he's crucified. His exaltation will be when he dies on the cross. And one of the functions of the cross is to reveal who Jesus is, that that is when the Jews will know the truth. And by this, John is not saying that all of his opponents, the opponents of Christ, will be converted in the wake of the cross. But if they do come to know who Jesus is, they will surely know it because of the cross. And the text says that in verse thirty, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Praise God! I hope that many of you will hear this and believe. So, how do we live in the light? I want to suggest a few ways here. First of all, I hope it's obvious: trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. And if you're sitting here this morning and you've got any doubts or questions about whether or not you're saved, about where you'll spend eternity, please do not miss the good news of Jesus Christ. It's so simple. We're all sinners. Our sin has earned us the right to do one thing to die and go to hell. The good news of Jesus is that he came into the world, he took all the sins of the world on himself. It was like a cancer that infected all of us and he took it out of your body and he put it in himself and he sacrificed himself and he killed that cancer and he gave you and I a way to eternity with him by simply believing that to be true, that he is who he says he is, that we'll rise from the dead to be with he and the Father. So believe him, believe what he says. And then secondly, speak truth speak truth there's no room for lies in the light that only adds to darkness and confusion imagine uh just for a moment picking your car up you've taken it to the shop the tech says okay the car is in great shape you've you have some kind of automotive genius to keep it running as well as you do good job and then later in the day your brakes don't work it turns out there's no brake fluid And you could have died. You go back to the shop and you say, well, why didn't you tell me? And the text says, well, I didn't want you to feel bad. (laughs) I was afraid you may be upset with me. I want this to be a safe place where you feel loved and accepted. (laughs) Well, how would you react to that? You'd be furious. Are you kidding? You could have killed me. But we do this all the time. I'm guilty of it. I want to be liked. There's no room for not speaking the truth. When something matters to us, we don't want some kind of illusion of comfort based on pain avoidance. We want the truth. Then third, give grace to those in darkness. The last words of Jesus, he cried it out from the cross. were, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. As he's being tortured to death, you've been betrayed. You've been hurt before. What do we expect from an unbelieving world? We follow the example of Christ, we love them, we give them grace. And then finally, enjoy God's wisdom for life. This is what light is for the Christians. It's God's wisdom to know how to live with joy and peace. Actually, after I get done with the book of John, I'm going to do a short series on joy and peace for the Christian because I think we all need a little bit of that. And that's what the light of Christ brings. He wants you to have freedom. He wants you to enjoy him for all eternity, starting now. You mean in the middle of my pain, Chad, I can have joy? That's exactly what I'm saying. But if you don't know the grief, you can have joy even in your grief. It's not about happiness. Putting this all together, very simply, run from darkness, live in the light, and enjoy the light. Run from the darkness, live in the light, enjoy the light. Please please pray with me. Lord, I ask that you now prepare our hearts. God, as we, in such a special way, remember what you did for us, Lord Jesus, on the cross. Where we commemorate your death and your life. And we look forward to that day when we all enjoy a meal together right there in your presence. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.
2: The uh, elders can come forward, the ushers, please. join me in prayer. Father, as we get ready to, uh, to celebrate you, to honor you, to remember you, I pray that um, everyone in this room can look at themselves, to examine themselves of who they are in their relationship with you, what Chad just preached, that we seek the light and not the darkness be with us as we as we celebrate your sacrifice through communion in Jesus name amen and what we do, um, obviously, it's about Christ's sacrifice for us. He, he he, he, did this just before he went to the cross. I was thinking this week as I thought about doing this, that as we look at this up here, of course, you folks can't see it, but it says do this in remembrance of me. I can remember everything about Jesus, what he did for me and for you. Um, even prior to his sacrifice on the cross, what he said, what he taught us, how to love one another, how to live life. Um, uh, Scott Tenney, my friends at the next service, his favorite thing he says to me is how to cut people a lot of slack, and we need to learn how to do that. I want to read something, a little a little different twist from a little a different version of what Paul wrote. He said, let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master himself and passed them on to you. The Master, Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. He said, this is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. The blood of Christ shed for you. Interestingly, what, what is written here afterwards, what you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for what you've done for us. Thank you for this body of believers. Father, may your spirit dwell in each one of us who are believers that we, that we truly start to learn to love one another as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Grace and peace to you. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.